welcome to Cool Mom 101 with Emily Kylo. Every week, she's bringing inspiring guests to help you embrace motherhood the cool mom way. Emily knows firsthand being a mom is hard AF, but she's passionate that doesn't need to be the end of the story. Shift your perspective on what it means to be a mom while learning practical tips and mom hacks you can use right away. Stay you while nailing the mom game. That's what being a cool mom is all about. Class is now in session. Here's your host, Emily Kylo. Hello and welcome back to Cool Mom 101. We are here at episode number three. And in this episode, we're talking with Sarah Dabiens about some of my most favorite mom topics. And Sarah's expertise will really blow you away. She has such a wealth of information. It's actually awesome. So some of the things we talk about in this episode um, are using positive language around labor, why labor is awesome, the most common struggles she sees with breastfeeding as a lactation consultant, how bathing your baby too soon can affect your milk production, some of the amazing attributes about breast milk, the shouldification of motherhood, haven't we all experienced a lot of that, and so much more. I really want you to leave this episode knowing that breastfeeding, yes, it's hard, um, but it's also rewarding, and you really don't need to suffer alone when it gets tough, as it inevitably will at periods of time. Um, there's help. There's always help. So let's get into it. Here's episode three of Cool Mom 101. Sarah Davienz is a mom of four, a labor and delivery nurse, and a lactation consultant. She has such a beautiful approach and philosophy around women, labor, and breastfeeding that is non-judgmental, educational, and empowering. So we are going to jump right into our mom sessions questions. All right, I'm going to pull up the questions. <laughs> so first one, uh, what is the best part of being a mom? You know, I was trying to think about that, and I, I, I don't even know if I have the answer. I would say when I first became a mom, it gave me the reason to live. <laughs> um, and that was 25 years ago. So I think, yeah, it, it's my identity, and so that's, that's nice. Mm -hmm. yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. And what is the hardest lesson you think you've had to learn now that you've had quite a few years of experience? I'd say it almost goes with the first answer, which is I think I had my daughter when I was very young, and so she's grown up, she's away at university, and so it was my reason for living, and now I have to emerge and have myself, and so that's, that's tricky, is kind of letting go of this thing that, you know, that's all you wanted to do, was take care of this little beautiful thing, and your success is in there leaving, and that's a pretty heartbreaking discovery mm -hmm. yeah that must be wild I'm so far from that but I know that's gonna be just a crazy time yeah yeah and I think so much of your identity can get you know engulfed in your children that I always wonder what it's like when they do start getting so much more independence yeah and I was never that mom who's like oh I need to go away for a weekend oh I need to just get away from my kids that wasn't me and so when they go away because they mature and they're, you know, flying out of the nest, it's, it's, you're celebrating them, but you're mourning that piece of yourself. Right. Yeah. Or I did. Yeah. Definitely. And have you experienced mom guilt? 
Yeah, of course. Yeah. Mom guilt. I mean, in those imperfect moments when you're tired, impatient, made the wrong call. Yeah. And how do you kind of deal with it? Would you say what's your kind of philosophy on that? Um, I think for my own, my own self, it's been about acknowledging it. So, you know, you goof and I think it's important to say to your child, you know, what I goofed or, you know, don't wear that. I, I, I had that moment. I was tired not to, you know, not to forgive it necessarily, but to give it context and just try to make sure that they are feeling intact and good about themselves if it, if it was an error. Right. Yeah. And I think, again, I haven't gotten to that point with my son yet, but I think kids are so smart and they understand so much. Yeah. And I think being human with them mm -hmm. and just saying, you know what, I kind of effed up on this. Mm -hmm. Not that you would use those words, but I, think they, <laughs> but they, I think they do really get it. And even if they don't right away, I feel like if you keep that practice, eventually they really do understand. And I hope maybe that it's modeling humility, you know? Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Which mm -hmm. is such a nice quality to have mm -hmm. as a human being. So mm -hmm. definitely. Okay. If you could tell your past mom self, so think about when you were a newbie mom. Yeah. What would you tell yourself? I think it's that good old thing that any, any older person says to that younger person who's holding that new baby, you know, and, and people always say time goes so fast, but time really does go so fast. So, you know, just breathe them in take those times, make all those memories. Um, yeah, so I would say that to my younger self. Just, just you know, believe in yourself. Yep. Yeah. Definitely. Mm -hmm. Great advice. Yeah. Okay, last one of these opening questions here. Finish the sentence. I am a badass mom and... Yeah, I was looking at this one and I was like, I don't even know if I feel like I'm a badass mom, but... You are. <laughs> I'm trying. I'm trying. So I feel like... Uh... I feel like anyone with four kids, you're <laughs> automatically qualified. Well, I was asking my daughter, my 13-year-old, my I was like, so I have to do this thing today. And it <laughs> says, like, I'm a badass mom. And what are some other qualities? And she's like, well, hmm. <laughs> I thought she should be the one who answers that one. But I guess it's like, you know what, like, am I a badass mom? I think, and I'm an emerging woman and I'm an emerging, you know, person in this, in this world awesome. with, with all these kids that I've had. Yeah. So amazing. Yeah. That's really cool. I'm one of four as well. So. Oh, cool. Mm -hmm. Which, which number? I'm number four. Oh. I'm the baby. Oh, that's so sweet. <laughs> yeah. It's, um, it's been cool having siblings. I guess that's something that is now a little bit on my mind now that I've gotten through like the cloud of the first few months mm -hmm. you do start to think okay I think maybe I could do this again mm -hmm. <laughs> in the very beginning I was like I'm not doing this again um and so siblings has been something that me and my partner have like talked about a bit um but I will say as I've gotten older too I really appreciate my siblings mm -hmm. you know as parents it's so cool to have them mm -hmm. like their moral support mm -hmm. it's just so helpful so your yeah. kids are very lucky. Oh yeah, I, th I hope so. Yeah, I was an only child until I was eleven. Wow. And I was it was so lonely. I remember just going to people's houses where they had like lots of kids and their cupboards would have like kid stuff, you know. Whereas when you're an only child, maybe it's a little bit more adult oriented. Right. Having said that, I'm gonna throw it out there for people that have one kid, and I think there's there's this other beauty that comes with being able to navigate and meet your needs because I think when you're one of many one of your life lessons is how to cope without getting all your needs met. Well, you kind of have to. Right. It's like when there, there's no longer like a balance, you know, if there's two kids or one kid, it's 
the adult ratio is is there mm-hmm. <laughs> when it's not anymore. Like mm-hmm. my mom's one of six, so she must have really wow. really had to learn those lessons. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah. So I wanted to jump right into how you got started in your career. So as a labor and delivery nurse and then subsequently as a lactation consultant. So how did that all come about? I mean, honestly, I think I was just born with this love of babies. And when I was little, my, you know, the babysitter that I had growing up then became a mother and she had triplets. So she actually had one baby a year and a half later had triplets. And then uh, her husband actually had a vasectomy, but didn't have time to get that six month check. And they had another. And so my favorite as an eight year old girl, nine year old girl, my favorite thing to do was go to their house and just take care of these babies. So that's always been me. And so, um, yeah, I went into nurse. I actually did two years of physics, had all these other ideas, but then I went into nursing and I knew it. I just knew it. So I was a doula all through nursing school. So like a labor support person. Yeah. So I did that. And then um, and I'd already had two children before I started my nursing school. And um, yeah. And then at the time when I graduated, there were no jobs. There was no hiring in labor and delivery. So I did my time in med surge, which was great. And then all of a sudden, finally, I got into a hospital in Vancouver and got to become a postpartum nurse at first. So I did that for a few years and then uh, became a labor delivery nurse. And my full-time permanent job is I teach maternity um, to nursing students. Um, Yeah, so it's my full-time gig. So that's your job right now. Yeah. Yeah, and I've been doing that 17 years. Yeah, that's my full-time gig. But the labor delivery thing is like, I would actually pay to go and do that shift. But instead, you know, the the side thing is I I get an extra you know, I get a bit of money. Um, yeah, so I did, I do that and I love it. And I just see women uh, struggling with breastfeeding all the time. And I'm pretty mm-hmm. sure my first child grew up on my blood. <laughs> like, I think the first two oh. weeks of her sustenance was like, who just knows what? Getting that from the blood. <laughs> And I was so young that when the community health nurse came to my house, I didn't want to admit that I wasn't you doing said everything's things. everything's fine. Everything is perfect. You know, I'm 18, but I got this. I, I know what I'm doing. I know exactly what I'm doing. And so, yeah. And so I just thought, no, I've got to help. I've got to help. So that's what I do. So every Wednesday, or most Wednesdays, I run a, a free drop-in breastfeeding thing. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, yeah. Anyway, that's, that's, that's how so I got cool. into it. Yeah. So you're one of those people, one of those, I call those, like, very lucky people who really was drawn to something and had such a passion like mm-hmm. it sounds like you have that oh yeah from such a young age yeah it's so cool yeah it's almost like I don't understand when people don't have it <laughs> yeah you're like what you what yeah you which is my kids they're all like why do you like babies so much I'm like oh they're so great I just do yeah <laughs> yeah it's nice that's awesome yeah so for people who might not know what exactly is a lactation consultant okay so it's actually an internationally recognized um association I guess um, and so you do have to you have to study you have to get a certain number of hours I, I honestly can't remember off the top of my head I should have brought that information with me. yeah quite a few hours and because I was a labor delivery nurse and postpartum um, and I also run La Leche League meetings which are like a breastfeeding uh, community support volunteer thing so I had quite a few hours and then you have to write an exam for I think it's a four hour long exam to get accredited um, and then every year you have to make sure that you renew um, your accreditation. Every 10 years you have to rewrite the exam. 
So that's kind of like the background. And it's all about the theory on um, breast development, on, you know, all the hormones like oxytocin, prolactin, um, everything that has to do with breastfeeding from the woman's anatomy and hormone place. And then also learning about newborns um, and also birth, how birth can impact breastfeeding. Right. Yeah. I think that's a little overlooked. I mean, I think a lot of breastfeeding is overlooked in general, I, w I would say. I think going into it, I knew that there could be struggles. Mm. And I think that was actually an advantage mm -hmm. because a lot of women I see, they think they're just kind of like the 18 year, year old you who mm -hmm. was like, oh, I should just be able to do this. Mm -hmm. I can do this. No problem. And a lot of them a lot of women struggle so much mm -hmm. and might not understand that it's kind of normal to have struggles sometimes, but you can work through them. Mm -hmm. But I think I was at an advantage having seen other people who had certain struggles. It's like, okay, so this isn't something that the baby comes out and you and the baby just know how to breastfeed and that's it, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. And I think there's this idea that you, because you know, you're a woman who just gave birth of course you should be able to breastfeed. Mm -hmm. So I think there's so much tied into that as mm -hmm. well. Mm -hmm. So how, speaking of your time as a labor and delivery nurse and a doula, mm -hmm. how many babies do you think you helped bring into this world? Do you even know? I don't even know. Yeah, I mean, I feel, I mean, the labor delivery piece I've actually only been doing for about six years mm -hmm. um, and I'm casual. So I'm not like a full-time, you know? Um, so I would say I pick up, you know, on average, I aim for a shift a week. So sometimes it's a bit more, sometimes it's a bit less. Um, I'm at a big, busy hospital. So definitely there's a birth. Pretty much definitely there's a birth each shift, if not two, maybe. Yeah, yeah I don't know. That's I don't so know. cool. Yeah. I bet it's it's a lot. It's though. probably a lot. It's insane. Yeah. So in all these, you know, labors that you've witnessed and women that you've had a chance to kind of meet, mm -hmm. uh, what would you say... Like, what would you want them all to know kind of going into it? So women who are going to give birth after, you know, you've seen all these different deliveries. Mm -hmm. What would you want women to know about the process? Oh, about the process yeah. or about my experience with them or? Yeah, um, like about what women who are just about to go into labor mm -hmm. or preparing for it. What would you want them to know based on all of your, because you have such a wealth of experience. I think I have experience. I think I also have a certain philosophy that mm -hmm. I feel very, very strongly connected to. Um, I, I always do this little spiel with with patients if, if they want to hear it. If they don't want to hear it, I you know I abort my my little mission. <laughs> but a lot of it um, is talking about fear, like the word fear I look at, and the word pain I look at. And so, you know, if I'm with someone who's in early labor, so, you know, maybe the intensity isn't through the roof. The big thing I talk about is, you know, when you when you get hurt and you feel pain, that's a that's like a, a system that we have in our bodies to protect ourselves. Right. I've been hurt. I have pain. I need to stop it. And so I don't love the word pain when it comes to labor. And I've been through it four times. Like I get it. But I try to say, let's let's change the word to pressure. And then I try to bring it down to, here's what your uterus looks like, and here's the cervix, and it's a muscle. And so really the muscle fibers are tightening, they're stretching, and it's really intense. And there's a lot of pressure. But I feel like those are positive words. And I think the moment we say, 
oh, I'm terrified. I have so much fear for the pain. I just think, hey, we're, we're putting these negative words on it. So it's, you know, I'm not trying to dis, um, to, I don't, not the word disrespect. I, I don't want to take away how intense it is because of course it's so intense, but I try to, I try to put positive words. I think that that's been my number one. Such a good philosophy to have. And I think we're kind of lacking. Oh yeah. That. It's, oh, I think time. we actually talked about this. Mm. So Sarah had come to do a lactation cons- consultation with me and I think we had talked about that because my my birth, like I really enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I don't know anyone else who's said that mm-hmm. really. Mm-hmm. I think I had one friend actually, I remember, and I was really grateful that she said, I'm jealous you're going like going to be going into labor soon because I really enjoyed it. Like mm-hmm. I felt like Superwoman. It was awesome. Mm-hmm. And I was like, thank you for saying that. Um, but I don't think there's enough of that kind of narrative and those stories. Mm-hmm. I think it's really lacking because what you see is terrible depictions in media, mm-hmm. even from other people. Mm-hmm. They tell you their horror stories. Mm-hmm. For some reason, when you're nine months pregnant, <laughs> people are telling you like their emergency C-section and mm-hmm. it's like, oh my goodness. Mm-hmm. And you don't hear about, I don't think, as much about, you know, the really beautiful side of birth Mm -hmm. so I'm really glad that you have that philosophy and that you're spreading it to others yeah trying I mean I feel yeah I feel I mean if you look at trauma-informed care and you look at someone who's gone through a kind of trauma I think in terms of uh, psychology recognizes the need to repeat that story and repeat it to others in order to try to make the pieces come together so I think probably for women that have gone through a difficult or traumatic birth they need to keep telling keep that story it. to try to make it make sense. And so whoever wants to be the audience is, is wonderful for them. But of course, as that nine-month pregnant woman, it's a little it's difficult. A little much. But I also think if you're in a posse of women and you've got two people maybe that have had a lot of trauma, I think the women that have had you know, a birth that they really enjoy. They don't want to be like, oh, I'm really sorry that happened to you. Mine was just the best. Yeah, I had the best time. <laughs> you know? I know. It's hard. It's hard to be that, you know, that, that unicorn and rainbow birth when someone's crying and just telling you how hor- horrible it was for them. No, and to but, be fair, I probably wouldn't be able to bring up my story in that kind of scenario you're, you're mentioning. Yeah, but you're right. I mean, the positive stories would really help a lot of women face it with potentially with less fear, right? Yes. Yeah. I really agree with that. Um, What are your thoughts? So speaking a little bit about your philosophy on kind of changing those concepts of like fear Mm -hmm. and pain. So what are your kind of thoughts about having a more natural Mm -hmm. childbirth? Mm -hmm. Well, that's been a really good learning curve for me because I had my first two at the hospital unmedicated and my labors were, you know, less than eight hours. I mean, my second was two hours. Um, and then my third and fourth I had as, as home births. Um, and I had family, you know, coming to my house, begging me not to do it. You know, really? and I just thought, no, like, you know, I need to have this as a really safe space to try this. And of course, in my head, I was like, it better go well. <laughs> and it did, thank God. But um, uh, could you repeat your question? Yeah, Sorry. No, I just wanted to hear your philosophy kind of on more natural yeah. childbirth. Yeah, so. yeah. So I guess... I guess what I believe, you know, another thing that I try to talk about is 
you know, thank goodness that we have puffers for asthmatics, right? If you have asthma, you need a puffer. And so you wouldn't sit in a room with, the, with every single person who, that has a set of lungs and just give everybody a puffer just in case. You just wouldn't do that. So I feel the same way. Thank goodness we've got C-sections. Thank goodness we've got epidurals and everything in between. Um, I do think that people should really get informed about what step one means. Like step one could lead to step two, could lead to step three. So if you're a woman who... Um, I believe, like this is super opinionated, but I think if you're someone who is really well supported and you feel safe um, and your labor is progressing, go for it. Like go for it fearlessly, you know, and, and, hope, and I hope you have people holding you as you fearlessly go through this journey. And if it's not going super smoothly, great. Now's your time, like take that epidural, whatever. But I do find it a bit... You know, it's like you'll have someone who was in labor for four hours, is progressing, they're fully dilated, super say, want the epidural, get the epidural, and then baby's out six minutes later, and it's like, you know. And some people think, you know what, they, she wanted that, there you go. And that, that, that's okay, too. Like, it's all totally. okay, as long as everybody really knows, you know, what they're doing. and why. I totally understand what you're saying, yeah. because I think <clears throat> there's such a lack of knowledge i think and also i think we're just so ingrained mm -hmm. that this is what i found personally is that when i was telling people or people saw that i'm pregnant the one of the first things they ask me mm -hmm. is what hospital are you going to mm. um so and that was one of the first questions mm -hmm. so it was really interesting to me kind of examining that back where it's so ingrained for people that birth means hospital mm -hmm. uh so i think it's such a it is a huge thing to kind of overcome that and peel it back and my kind of philosophy is you should do it wherever you're the most comfortable mm -hmm. and i'm not talking about people who have special circumstances or complications mm -hmm. no but just if you have kind of a run-of-the-mill pregnancy and you're healthy and all that mm -hmm. i really think that you know you should try to give birth where you feel the most comfortable whether that's the hospital or at home it, it just depends so some people might think what might really feel that a hospital they're going to be way more comfortable they prefer to have you know the access right mm -hmm. away to the interventions mm -hmm. for me i really don't like hospitals mm -hmm. personally mm -hmm. i pretty much have only gone to them when people are very ill and or dying it's just, and because of my research, I knew that there's a higher chance of certain interventions, not necessarily, but a bigger chance. Oh, totally. And I was really trying to do unmedicated, no interventions. So mm -hmm. that's kind of, I've only done it once and very recently, but that's kind of my take on it now as I say to people, like, it should be where you're the most comfortable. I think it also goes back to that thing about, um, so I'll, two points on that one. So one of them is, yeah, it goes back to that toolbox. Thank goodness we have hospitals. Thank goodness we've got, you know, obstetricians and anesthesia and ambulances. And that's exactly what it's there for. Um, and if you're healthy and your labor is progressing and there you go and you've got a midwife with you, you're good. Like you are good. And if you're not, right away there's stuff that can come. So the second piece of that I would say is, you know, I say within the within the hospital, 
there's there is a divide you know and and that's a that's a difficult one because one word that is used and this is really i mean i can't handle you know i i hate it the word is used um the word that is used sorry is failed home birth and i just hate that um, so no so and so i know so it's uh, you know so they will say so and so is coming in uh you know they were attempting a labor at, or a labor at home or delivery at home it's a failed home birth and that's the big thing where you know we talk about this this is not a failed home birth this is a home birth that is now being transferred into a, a hospital birth that's it you know so i think it, it, you know that, that's where like words are so powerful. So pain versus pressure, failed versus transfer. You know, these are positive language. Um, just like someone who wasn't planning on a C-section, you didn't fail your vaginal birth. There was a different plan for, for the birth of this baby and it's beautiful too, you know? Totally. Yeah. So interesting. And I would, I'll just throw it out there that when I was a doula and I was a postpartum nurse, I absolutely believed if you did everything right, you would have an unmedicated vaginal birth. I really believe that. And that's one thing I have to say that's been very humbling and a very good growth for me. I've seen women doing like sun salutations <laughs> and just rocking it, rocking it in labor for 45 hours, you know, not wanting anything medical, not wanting an epidural. And it's like, oh man, you know, five centimeters for two days. Like, that's a long time, right? So I, I've seen that too. And in, in this one in particular, yeah, ended up being a C-section. And I saw how the baby was kind of packed in there. It's like, yeah, this just would not have come out through Don't your think vagina. That was happen. Yeah, you can do everything perfectly. And sometimes the fit or how it lands in there, like whatever, it's just not quite right or I should say not right but not not gonna give you a nice vaginal it's, birth without a lot of trauma yeah, right not conducive to that yeah and that's okay yeah and that's okay yeah, yeah. that's really interesting how you think about the wording because I think it is really powerful mm -hmm. and especially when I think back to when I was in labor you're kind of in a bit of an in-between state and I think you would really hear those I think I would have heard those words well, this is a failed home birth. Yeah. And think, okay, so I'm a failure now. You're still in the middle of your labor. Mm -hmm. I don't think that would have felt very good for me. Mm -hmm. That's for sure. Mm -hmm. Yep. Now, on this topic of, you know, home births and I guess how a lot of births happen in hospitals, um, I'm just wondering your thoughts on how we as a community can better support women who want to do that, want to have a home birth, for example. I think we, we, we tell our story, right? So in the same, getting back to, you know, someone who's got trauma and needing to, you know, explore that by sharing that story, I think that it's, it's a really safe place to say, you know, this is my birth story and it happened at home and this is what it looks like, you know? And I was recently very honored to be at a, at a birth um, and it was it was planned to be a hospital birth, but actually um, this friend of mine who I was call call it being a doula with her, um, it was just progressing so well. She felt so safe at home, but her parents were there and they were freaking out. And so what they thought that a home birth meant versus what a home birth looked like. And the moment the midwife called the second midwife for backup, and even though I was a doula capacity, I mean, I, you know, do have my skills as a, you know, for a CPR, let's say, or whatever. Um, and she, oh, but when the midwife opened up her whole set, you know, you've got your suction, you've got 
everything that you need for resuscitation of this newborn. You've got the second attendant, like, there it is. And I, I just remember the parents looking and being like, oh, okay, it wasn't right. quite as, you know, <laughs> I don't know, like back in the, you know, in a cow shed kind of imagery as they maybe had. Totally. Uh, you know, and also remembering you're, you know, in, in most places in Vancouver, you're within X number of minutes to a hospital and to an ambulance. And they do go sideways, but very rarely, right? And, and you know, actually, if you look at the statistics, they do talk about, you know, f for the healthy woman whose labor is progressing, home is just as safe, if not safer, depending on, you know, which resources you're looking at. Yes, and I was reading some research, too, about one thing that, kind of stuck with me about the research I was reading was that the amount of like how women felt about the birth mm -hmm. there was so much more satisfaction like crazy crazy more. and it's all about oxytocin and it's the feeling right so when you feel that level of intensity and you get that flood of oxytocin and actually research shows that if I was with you at your birth for example my oxytocin goes up. So my love of you and my sense of protecting you and your baby is really, really high. You wow. know, because it's been so intense and I've had to probably help you, I'm, I'm, I'm super connected too, right? And men also actually show a drop in their testosterone when they're in the, the, the right. birth. I had read about that and I thought, wow. Like right? That, I don't know. The human body is just so freaking cool. It's so cool. Yeah. And yeah. I have to say, I guess my philosophy on labor and birth and I think I, in general, I have a high amount of trust for my body. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of how I went into it. Mm -hmm. I was like, I know that my body knows how to do this. Mm -hmm. I just know. Mm -hmm. uh, but I think... It is hard for a lot of people to overcome. There are a lot of fears, and I'm not saying there aren't. Mm -hmm. It's normal and natural. Mm -hmm. But I think it was so powerful to kind of leave those a bit aside and have the foremost thought being kind of more like power mm -hmm. and trust. Yeah, and I almost feel like there's almost a sense of like um, an adversarial place as opposed to and or and so you know I had a really good home or I don't use that word I had a home birth it was very empowering it's very positive for me the next person you know I labored at home it was time for me to go to the hospital and I had you know I had a very empowered well-informed c-section that I wasn't planning on but I feel really good about it like I think it's really important that we use this language that says your birth hopefully just felt really good for you and you're holding this you know hopefully healthy baby and and that's the result and so it doesn't need to be like oh you're crazy or oh you failed right it's again that positive support I hope yeah totally mm -hmm. um switching a little bit back to breastfeeding now mm -hmm. so bringing it on back gotcha. to that <laughs> that's what we're here for yeah well no this is all great all stuff right. too to share um what would you say are some of the biggest um struggles that people have so i'm sure you see some recurring things yeah yeah um and i think again it's good to talk about because you're not alone no <laughs> i always say that i i always imagine all these women and all these condos and houses in vancouver quietly weeping with their baby and i think <laughs> if there could only just be this light that went on on all the rooftops so we could all look and go holy cow you're telling me there's like five thousand women all quietly weeping right now about the same <laughs> thing like wouldn't that be nice um 
so I mean lots of patterns I would say one of the patterns is kind of back to what we were talking about I think that if you have had a birth that didn't meet your expectations let's say if you do have some trauma stuff, stuff like that I would say oftentimes what I'm what I'm working on with someone is um, self-forgiveness and so I've been with women where you know my first question is always how was the birth and more often than not, there, there's little hiccups, there's little traumas, or, or I would even say a, a lack of understanding about what happened and why. And so I had this one really funny one. It was like the fifth person that I saw in two weeks and had, was having exactly that same thing. Uh, you know, she failed. She really wanted to have a home birth. Or no, sorry, she wanted a, a hospital, unmedicated birth, and she failed because she had a C-section. These were her words. I was like, how are you failing? Where, where's the failure, right? So anyway, so it was funny because her husband was in with us and we're, you know, doing our thing and she was crying and she was very educated. She'd done all the right stuff, you know, and then he had to leave to go move their car. And then when he, when he came back, she was in her bed naked with her baby and I was in bed beside her. I was like, no, no, it's not what it looks like. But I realized, no, hang on a second. What she needed was healing from the birth and from her own sense of failure. And that's actually what she needed to do to get breastfeeding going. So forgiving the self. And so sometimes I just say, you know what, get into bed with your baby, get naked, let your body, let your baby get to learn your body. Because if you had a difficult birth, so did your baby. Totally. Right? I think we forget that. Oh my sometimes. God, I think so too. Like you both really struggled yeah. in those few hours or whatever, mm -hmm. right? And even if it was like, went off without a hitch, yeah. it's still you, this little human they were in your cozy little womb. Now they're out into this big, crazy world. So it's a lot for them too. Oh yeah, just like that first breath, you know, and all that stuff. So I think that that is a pattern I see over and over is just forgive yourself, you know, and, and surrender. Surrender now to these few days. I think there's a lot of shock on how often you have to breastfeed. In the beginning. Oh yeah, like mm -hmm. all day, all night. Um, and I'd say oftentimes, you know, it's, you know, my partner is trying to be helpful, so is giving a bottle at night so that I can sleep. And then now I'm seeing them two weeks later and they're having difficulties with supply. supply. You know, and so it's like, you know what, the best intention I'm sure is in the act of taking this baby away and, and giving a nighttime feed. And look, sometimes if that mom's just gonna lose her mind because she hasn't slept, I, I get it. it. <laughs> but I think in the in the bigger scheme of things, it's not a supply and demand, it's a demand and supply. That's how breastfeeding works. Right. So there has to be demand every two or three hours for the body to create the supply. Right. And that's it, you know? So crazy. Yeah. Um, those first, few days yeah I, I was pretty much naked in the bed yeah I only kind of put clothes on if there were visitors and then I, was, I think you stayed naked for me yeah <laughs> probably I, I think I had a robe yeah yeah it. um but it did it just felt it felt yes. right so I was like great well um, and it's the best thing for me to see it's like okay you know there's comfort in the self and in the body and the baby on you and yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. it is a little magical time though yeah if you let it be yeah I'm not saying it's not difficult even it's hard for everyone. Yeah. I think. Yeah. Like there's, it's not easy. Can I interject and talk about the bath thing? This is another really big thing for yeah. breastfeeding. So I think in that same uh, breath, the World Health Organization recommends not uh, bathing your baby for the first 24 hours. 
oh, yeah, we didn't bathe him for about two weeks, I think. Yeah. I mean, not that you need to go, like, super hippie like me. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I had heard that. And my midwife's told me. Right. Mm -hmm. But I think that that's a thing that I see often, right? So it could be... Um, and do you know why... Can you explain for people why that is? Yeah, I mean, the big thing is if you even think about... Um, I mean, years ago, actually, I, we had this woodshed, and we heard all these, like... So as a wild cat had birthed all of her little kittens and we called the SPCA and we said, you know, I think like a very young cat has just had a bunch of kittens. What should we do? And they said, you know, make sure you don't handle the kittens too much because if your smell goes on the kittens, that mom will not recognize baby. that baby, won't feed that baby. And it's interesting that we kind of don't think of ourselves that way. So it's really important that, you know, your olfactory nerve, so your smell nerve, is very, very close to your pituitary gland, which is where the oxytocin is produced, right? And so it's just magical. It's like you smell your baby, you see your baby, it's outside of you, and the brain does this little thing of like, okay, I'm, I'm going to start, you know, nourishing this baby. So, you know, as much as Johnson Johnson's baby shampoo smells nice, it doesn't smell like your baby, right? And so that's one of the big things. We're mammals, we need to smell this little human mm -hmm. yeah yeah and I think that just made sense to me too um but I think a lot again a lot of times in the hospital too they seem to do it quite quickly yeah. I'm not saying always and I'm sure if you were, were to say no I, I actually don't want my child bathed mm -hmm. I'm sure they wouldn't mm -hmm. but I think it's hard when you're in that vulnerable state oh. and they just grab your baby what do you are you really gonna I'm just thinking back to how I felt yeah I don't think I would have argued yeah. You know, you would have just, okay, you're kind of in a haze. You're very vulnerable after just giving birth. And I think you would just go with whatever. Yeah. So. Yeah. And I think, I mean, I think a, a lot of hospitals are trying to move in that direction. But yeah, sometimes it's hard to change old practice too. I know. Yeah. I bet. Now, something I was really curious to hear your take on. So something that I've noticed. So I'm almost eight months into my breastfeeding journey. Mm. Um, lots of ups and downs, um, but overall, it's been really positive. There has been times that I've been like, this is terrible, mm -hmm. I hate this. <laughs> Just so you guys know, it hasn't been all like rainbows and I, I'm like, love it, so good. I love having a human hanging I off my nipple it. every two hours, yeah, this so is good. great. <laughs> um, but overall, it's been like a pretty positive mm -hmm. um, journey for me. So now I've started to look a little bit ahead. And I have to say, I've noticed that there seems to be this idea culturally here where it's like one year and you stop. Mm. I've like noticed that from a lot of people. Mm. And I think it maybe coincides with a time that a lot of people go back to work. Yeah. Um, so I don't know if you, have you noticed that? And what is your take on how long, I guess, people should be breastfeeding mm -hmm. if they can. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, again, should is sort of a funny I know, word, right? That's why. I, yeah, yeah, no, no, I know. I mean, again, World Health Organization recommends, you know, two years and beyond, so not even capping it at two years. Um, again, you know, shouldification of motherhood is so difficult. So I think if you if you can breastfeed for three days and that's all, hey, as long as it comes from a place of being informed, mm -hmm. you know. Um, and I just say that because I, I definitely see a lot of clients who believe that they can't because their mother couldn't. And they don't see some of the birthing practices that happened that actually w is what interfered with that breastfeeding relationship. Um, yeah, I don't know. I feel like I see a whole gamut I mean certainly oh, I see people breastfeeding to five years six years you know 
um, as a nursing instructor, it's fun because I definitely talk to my students and say, okay, let's talk about the should. And, you know, I'll have students who are say, oh, gosh, I remember breastfeeding off of my aunt when I was seven. And I remember this one man said that in my class and everyone was like, say what? Because they thought what? he'd be so conservative, you know. Um, so I think there's big culture pieces that come into play, too. So, again, I think um, information is key. And then, and then you make your decision. Make your choice. You, yeah. yeah, but I think as you know, as long as you're you're enjoying breastfeeding, do it. Totally. And if you're hating it, don't do it. <laughs> That's what I would say too. Where I've I've heard people say like I was so angry when even they just like were latching. Yeah. Like I was done. Yes. And you know that was like I just a friend of mine who was a little over a year into it, and then I think yeah to me if that was me I think that would make sense to stop. For your mental health mm -hmm. but i think you have the right idea just get the information and then make your decision it's hard not to pay attention to cultural oh, yeah. norms it's yeah. so hard mm -hmm. but i think if you can make your own decision based on the information mm -hmm. it's probably going to be a better outcome for everyone mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so speaking about how cool we talked earlier about how amazing the human body is especially with relation to birth, labor. It's so cool, the mm -hmm. amount of things that happen. Mm -hmm. um, and I have always thought that breast milk is super cool too. Mm -hmm. So I remember reading something about um, it will actually, your body will produce certain antibodies. Mm -hmm. And is that, that's a thing, right? It's a real thing. It's called passive immunity. So cool. Yeah, so you're around someone who's had a flu and your body actually builds the antibodies for that, which gets passed through your breast milk. So it's a very protective element. And I'd say that's another thing I see more as a labor delivery nurse than as a, a lactation consultant. But oftentimes people are really concerned with that first colostrum mm. because it's, you know, it's a very little amount. And if they express, you know, they're just getting these little dribbles of this kind of honey sort of consistency stuff. But the whole work of that is antibodies. Um, it's not about massive volume because probably baby's gut is just filled with that first meconium. Um, and by the time they poo it all out, about a day or so later, they get into that cluster feeding. And then about two days after that, then the milk comes in. Um, but yeah, the big function of that is immunity. It's so cool. Yeah. Do you have any other cool facts about breast milk you can share? I mean, definitely studies have shown, for example, on a really hot day that your breast milk will have a higher water content. And on a very cold day, your breast milk will have a higher fat content. Um, that is so cool. I know. I, I've had people send me pictures of their of their milk, right. thinking like, how come it's not white? You know, my sister's milk is white. It's crazy, the rainbow of breast milk. Really? Yeah. It just comes in all colors, and it's all good stuff. So it's all good, guys. It's Don't all worry. good. Yeah. You got some blue milk going on. Oh, lots it's of blue so milk. so cool. Lots of blue We're milk. We're good. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's awesome. So I wanted to get into, we had a few questions from some listeners. So okay. So I want to answer these for them. So do you have any tips um, for helping letdown happen when you're pumping? Yeah, so first of all, I would say that has been a really big learning for me as a, as a lactation consultant, this whole idea of letdown. So for me, and so obviously we often bring our personal experiences into situations. Mine was like so strong, I could really feel it. And then I've had women who describe it as very painful, like, like pins and needles, um, but hurting. And other people, I can see the milk. I mean, I can see the stuff spraying out. And they're like, I don't really feel anything. Like, there's no sensation. And other women, I think, don't really get a letdown. 
but there's no lack of supply. I mean, their baby is huge and thriving and yeah, so I would say that. But in terms of if you're pumping and you're trying to like get your amount high, again, think about your nose and that mm -hmm. olfactory nerve. So um, things like um, smelling your baby. So uh -huh. if you're doing it while baby's sleeping, you know, maybe just grabbing a little cloth or some sleeper your baby was just wearing and putting that even on your chest so that you can smell Smart. baby. Um, yeah, if you've got like your third and fourth hand, you know, a really good way of doing it is breastfeeding on one side and then pumping on the other side, right? I mean, that's, right. Like, it, that's a good immediate way. That's for a little bit more like, you know, you figure your thing out a little bit. Um, there is this new, this, the Haka pump, yes. which is, and there's even like all these fake versions that are like 20 bucks off Amazon. That's great. It's very passive. You wear it on the one breast while you're breastfeeding on the other side. Yeah, you told me about that. Yeah. And it was awesome. Um, and I would say try it I think everyone should it's like I think it was 28 bucks or something like that right um and it, yeah it's great because you can just attach it on say your left side yeah while you're feeding your baby on your right side yeah and then you just get all this especially in the beginning well I had a lot of supply in the beginning so right. it was like this is great and there's no extra work yeah yeah um, so now when I pump you know say I want you know I'm going away for you know a certain amount of hours yeah um, it is, it's more work. So that was nice. Yeah. I would definitely recommend it. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah. Someone else asked about weaning. Oh, wait, let's get back to pumping. Oh, sorry. I say, sorry, I'm just remembering. More tips. Yeah, more tips. Um, I would say more is not always more. Sometimes less is more. And what I'm talking about here is the, um, you know, I've seen people kind of cranking the suction level. <laughs> it's like the whole nipple and the areola is just really getting a good workout. And then you can do some damage, right? So, you know, nice, gentle pressure. And I'd say if you can massage your breast while you pump, that's a that's a big game changer for a lot of women. And also don't underestimate manual pumping. For some women, it's good. I never figured it out. A lot of women can do a great job. I know I didn't okay. either, but I have yeah. heard that it works really well. Yeah. So it's kind of a little bit of trial and error. Yeah. But it's a great tip about the smelling, the, <laughs> the like a baby thing. Mm -hmm. Smart. Now, in terms of weaning, mm -hmm. when you are ready to do that mm -hmm. or when baby is ready, I guess, how do you go about that? Yeah, that's a funny one. I think that's a funny one. And again, it's it's a, a lot of it is around philosophy. Um and I think all ways are right if it works for you. Uh, there is a whole idea around um, the, the baby-led weaning. So some babies just kind of are done. So, you know, my first and second, I think I breastfed for a year and a half, two years. My third went for five years. I was like, oh, man. So when I had my fourth, I thought he would please do the same. don't go for five years. <laughs> no, no, actually, but no. I thought, please okay. do. Okay. No, no, he was my baby. I was like, just stay with me forever. Right. That's the last one. Yeah, and my first had already left home. So I was just so heartbroken. I was like, oh, you stay with me. And he was not even, like, barely two like on, on one end one month anyway of being two he just was like no and I was just so, so disappointed so that's the I think sometimes your baby just okay. says to you I'm yeah. done done and that's they're done and that's mm -hmm. that's kind of a nice and easy way um now I guess if you were deciding yeah if you're deciding that's a different story right and I would say, why are you deciding? So a lot of women are going back to work. And again, seeing breastfeeding as an if or. If I can stay home, I can breastfeed. If I'm back at work, I can't. And that is, 
really not supported, I would say, um, anecdotally and for sure with research. Again, it's that demand and supply. So when you're gone, you may have to change your shirt. So I used to stand there tell, saying lectures, <laughs> and all of a sudden, you know, my students would be looking funny. And I'd realize, like, I'd have these wet circles emerging from my breasts, you know. So then I'd have to go change my shirt and put in a bunch of pads. But the point is, you know, that was when I first went back to work. And then, and then your body kind of realizes it's not going to get simulated for milk at this time. And there's a beauty if you work 12 or 14 hours, then you go home and you've not seen your baby it's a really nice way to bond again. Mm. So I think, you know, don't feel like you have to wean is the right. point of the story. If you're now deciding to wean, for some people there's a medical emergency, something you just got to go cold turkey, very painful. Mm -hmm. But, you know, you got to wear a good bra, cold compresses, do what you got to do and just keep an eye out for a plug duct or mastitis and infection. Otherwise, usually it's like dropping a feed every couple of days. Okay. You know, so give yeah. yourself a good you know, maybe a good month to really wean. Totally. Yeah. And I think something that, I can't remember if it's you who talked about this, but the idea that it has to be like, I know what you're saying, like all or nothing. Uh -huh. It's like, I'm sure you can still keep, you know, like one or two yeah. feedings a day yeah. for a while. Yeah. It doesn't have to be so like time intensive or constant feedings later on right because they're, they're starting to eat food anyways mm -hmm. so and i think that that's sort of that other piece of breastfeeding right which is uh people think of breastfeeding as food and it's like oh you don't need to breastfeed your baby he's just going to for comfort he's just trying to soothe himself and that's said in this negative way and i always think well hang on what you're saying is i am a comfort what you're saying is I can soothe this this person. Great. That's awesome, right? So I think even if you may not be producing much milk and you've kind of weaned to the point of one feed per day, maybe you're using breastfeeding as a bonding moment, right? And and maybe that's okay. Yeah. And on that note, will will your body kind of keep up a supply of say you ended up you know, two years in and uh -huh. they just kind of are doing like one feed? Mm -hmm. Will your body keep that up for a while? Yeah, I mean, example, usually yeah. your you, usually your body just kind of responds to what you're stimulating oh. it to do. Sometimes the body's like, oh, I guess we're not breastfeeding anymore, and you <laughs> kind of run out, and the baby's like, well, I kind of keep coming here, and there's no more sustenance so. for me. And then it naturally kind of leaves that way too, right? Cool. So, yeah. So it's a bit of push and pull. Yeah, and it's and a it, dance, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, the last question to answer here from listeners, um, what is... What is your thoughts on breastfeeding a baby with tongue tie? Yeah, I mean, this comes up all the time. I mean, this is the biggest thing. So, I mean, I mean, first of all, if your baby's latching on and you're not having any nipple pain, then great. Tongue tie can then be looked at in a whole different way. So there's a whole lot of stuff now around, um, you know, speech pathology and speech impediments. And I, again, that's your philosophy. If, if you're seeing that these problems are emerging, then you can get the, the phrenectomy done. So they clip the little piece of skin that's under the tongue. And it's not just that one. So for some babies, it's that they have a very tight frenulum under the tongue. And then if you pull down your bottom lip and you look at the little piece of skin that connects your lip to your gum right. and on the top, they can do clips there as well. So sometimes all three of those structures are too tight. Because they're not able to then really open. Yeah, they can't open their mouth or maybe the tongue can't come out enough to pull the nipple in. Mm -hmm. So um, yeah, oftentimes a GP or a midwife can just clip it. Um, 
either time people go to a dentist, in which case you need extended health care, because it's like 500 bucks or 400 bucks. Whereas a GP won't charge, but they may not be, like they may totally specialize in it and be comfortable, or they may want to make a referral. So that's case Depends. by case. My GP just um, did Leo's. Oh. And her office yeah um she's like a bit of an old school gp yeah and she's like yeah we always did these like no problem yeah she's like oh do you want me to just do it now and i'm like yeah like let's just do it now and see if it if it helps and it, it, it did so. did it like instantly it yeah i could feel it was a deeper latch for sure great yeah they i mean i heard this i can't prove it with anything but i heard that you know midwives of, of the days of, of your <laughs> they used to keep their pinky nails long for that but what? I don't know if that's true. But I heard that. I once. love that. I know. I know. I love a good like. Yeah. I know. Tail. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. So I want to wrap it up and right. really, really thank you for coming to chat with me and sharing your just like huge wealth of knowledge. It's super important and such great information to share. So thank you so much. Oh, thank you. Thanks. And last two questions. Yeah. Wrap it up here. Yeah, yeah. So thinking over the past, you know, week or so. Yeah. What would be your biggest mom win yeah. and your biggest mom fail? Ooh. <laughs> um, I had a I had a good win, I think. We were riding we were trying to ride our bikes from Kitsilano to Second Beach Pool, like Sally Park. And my seven year old was just like, My bike is broken and he'd been fussing so much, he just hates riding his bike and I was like, Yeah, just get on your bike, you know. I was getting quite frustrated. And then he like threw his bike on the, you know, street. And I was like, oh God. So I got on his bike, you know, I thought, okay, I'll try this thing. And I realized the poor kid, I don't think we'd inflated the tire since we bought this thing. So the poor guy, like it, it just couldn't even pedal. I was like, oh my God, I'm such an ass. Like I should have tried worst, this. Yeah. Like I'm the worst. And so finally, I just, and he was just in tears, you know, and I said, you know, what a lesson, like what a lesson. This was really difficult. And I didn't know the truth, right? The truth is that your bike was broken. I thought you didn't want to, but your bike wasn't working. So maybe, you know, I was like, so think about that for you as well. Like you, you say how much you hate bike riding. You poor guy, your equipment's been broken for like <laughs> two months with this stupid thing, right? <laughs> So anyway, that was, uh, yeah, that was a bit of a, a mom win, I think, you know, totally. just a, sort of say it was an equipment malfunction. Yep. Um, a fail. Mm -hmm. I mean, I just have so many. God. <laughs> I joke that I, I feel like I win and fail on an almost hourly basis. Hourly. Especially, especially I think, when you're, you know, at home. Oh, yeah. Like, this is the reality hourly you know do I yeah. need you know I feel like I've got this you know daughter who's studying abroad and you know on the one hand I give her her space but am I there enough for her and then you know I've got my 21 year old son and you know like I try to give him space I try to call him so he knows he's really loved but then at the same time I really want my kids to know that I've got a lot going on too that I'm that, that I'm this person mm -hmm. um but maybe I'm not there enough I don't know and then you know these two at home like yeah it's, uh, yeah, I'm winning and I'm losing every single second of every day. Yeah. yeah. So just so everyone knows, that's that's totally normal. <laughs> I have a, I have a quick other little thing. Yeah. You can edit it out if Tell you don't me. like it. No. But I went to this vagina monologues. This was like yeah. a couple of years ago, and just one one image for me that I love is it was a story about um, childbirth, and it was comparing the vagina to the heart, mm. and it was talking about how um, you know how when you give birth. You know, your vagina stretches, your vagina can tear. Without putting traumatic words, it can break, right? Your vagina can go through all this stuff, but then it comes right back. 
And so, and it was, it was making a parallel to your heart. So when you have your baby, your heart breaks open and it stretches open, but that's what it's meant to do as is your vagina, right? So if you have a vaginal birth, I don't know. I just, I just love that. And I same, like that. You know? I know. And I have to say, now we're on this kind of tangent. Yeah. Um, that was one fear I had about having like a vaginal birth. Right. I was like, cause I think again, you hear this narrative of like, oh, it never goes back. Yeah. Like, Guys, it does, so don't worry. Yeah, new <laughs> like, and improved. Fine. Maybe yeah. not back to what it was. It's the new and improved version. Yeah, but it's not. Yeah. 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 Anyways, it's a muscle. Yeah. Let's just you know. Yeah. It's okay. It's there all good. Okay. Um, and one last thing yeah. I wanted to leave people with is that um, if they're having any struggles with breastfeeding, mm -hmm. what should they do? What's the best place to go? A, just know you're not alone. B, um, look up La Leche League. So it's Spanish for the Milk League. So La Leche League, which is a volunteer-run organization, it's global. Tons of good resources online as well. So at least you're getting like informed information or yeah, uh, well-researched information. Um, yeah, there's there is the breastfeeding clinic in Vancouver. BC Women's I know for sure has lactation consultants that you can call as an outpatient. Um, you can call you know lactation consultants in the city. Yeah, ask friends. Awesome. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yes, and don't struggle alone. Don't struggle alone. Turn that little light on your roof that I was talking about earlier. Totally. <laughs> and you know what I do say to people too is the moment you feel like it's not going well, yeah, get someone to help you. Yes, yeah. Because most things are fixable. Yeah. You know, like if yeah. you're working with a professional consultant, mm -hmm. they can probably help you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So don't wait. Yeah, don't wait. No need. Mm -hmm. All right. Thanks again so much, Sarah. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for listening to Cool Mom 101 with Emily Kylo. If you liked our podcast, please be sure to leave a comment or review and be sure to tune in next time.